0: Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made, high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this Made in America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms. Fueled by joy. Podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll
0: tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs>
1: This week on the Houndsman XP Podcast, we are traveling to Trinidad, Colorado, where we have the rare occasion to find Josh Whittaker with a little bit of time on his hands to sit down and talk to us. Josh and his brother, Jason, run the Whittaker Brothers Hunting Company out of Trinidad, Colorado. These guys are hunters. I truly think the outfitting deal is just an excuse to spend more time in the mountains and uh, why not get paid for it? and i know several people that have hunted with them and they run a high class outfitting business out there but the thing that drew me to josh was the fact that and this guy he's always busy he's a master leather craftsman um, he's a farrier he's just a, a good western ranch guy that that is good at anything that he sets his mind to and we're going to talk about lion hunting from dry ground to subalpine from dirt to the snow it's all in this one folks as you guys get introduced to josh whitaker when i'm looking for guests for the houndsman xp podcast i like to find people that are not one dimensional they've got multiple layers to them they've got a lot to offer the hound hunting community and our audience and i really do strive to find those people with high moral character that is something to be celebrated in our culture And especially in today's world, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation I have with Josh. He's going to also have a very important message for all of us to listen to at the end of the podcast. He actually went to the Capitol in Denver for the hearing on Senate Bill 22031. And he's going to talk about his experience being there as his first time ever being involved like this. And it's going to give you inspiration it was an uplifting message for me. I was really inspired to see the, uh, houndsmen, the ranchers and the hunting community come together out there in Colorado. And Josh was on site and experienced it firsthand. And he's going to give you some takeaways and hopefully inspire you, all of us to be more involved in this legislative process. Defeating SB 22031 in Colorado was a great day for democracy in America. It was a great day for freedom. That committee was made up of three Democrats and two Republicans, so that should show you that democracy can and still does work in the United States. And most importantly, that common sense and science-based wildlife management is still alive. Southern Hound Honey Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Honey Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle living it every day to the fullest from the rocky mountains to the southern swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond go to southernhoundhunting.com get your subscription for $15 a year southern hound hunting magazine promoting the fair chase experience
2: Hey, it needs to be done. So we got to do it. So,
1: yeah, well, I just, I love talking to, uh, I just love talking to houndsmen. You know, I just, I like talking to them and finding out what they're doing and how they do things. It's really cool to be able to, to hunt with different people and see how they do stuff. Cause every time I hunt with somebody, I pick something up to bring back, you know, I see something and it's just like, you know, that, even, even if it's, it gives me stuff to think about, even if it's like, you know, I don't, I wouldn't do it that way, or I would do it that way, or why wouldn't I do it that way, you yeah. know, and I think, I think as houndsmen, we just get, we, we get in our own little ruts and thinking about how we do stuff, and, and if we don't look around us and try to pick up new ways, we kind of get, we get stymied in our growth, you know, I'm, I, absolutely, yep, absolutely, <laughs> So we've got, uh, got Josh Whitaker with Whitaker brothers hunting company. That is a cool outfitting business name, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you hear like, so, so outfitters, this outfitter, that outfitter, and you guys are a, you guys are a hunting company. Yes, sir. Yep. And I'm not even sure. Are you, am I, are you sure I'm talking to Josh? You didn't recruit, Josh didn't recruit Jason to be on here. Can oh no, this him? is Josh. Yeah, you got a twin brother. The so problem I is, know. I
2: got a twin, so you're you're never really gonna know.
1: That's right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so oh man, we go so, by
2: both. So yeah,
1: but what do you what do you guys do out there? Where where are you at, Josh? Where are you guys? I'm in. At?
2: Uh, we're both in Trinidad, and then uh, we have a third partner, Eric schluckerberg He's uh partner with us in the in the hunting business, and um and we're all here in Trinidad. So Southeastern oh, he Colorado, he is, but he's moving out here. He's got a, he's got some ranches out here and, uh, he's in the process now of, of getting his residency here. So, yeah. which is really cool. Cause we, we do everything together, the three of us. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool that he's got some ground, really good ground here. And, uh, now he's getting ready to build a house and move here so it's it's good
1: yeah so what do you guys what do you guys outfit for i mean game animal wise
2: oh we do lion bear uh we do mule deer bighorn sheep elk whitetail we've done we've done everything in old mexico we've done desert sheep coos deer desert mule deer gould's turkey we do merriam's turkeys we've done rio's a um, little bit of everything, really.
1: No kidding, man! You're yes, living sir. the dream. Yes,
2: sir. Yeah, a lot so of work. How did, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can tell you guys. You guys, even when it's not hunting season, following you on, on social media and stuff, you guys have got a lot going on. And there's a, there's a lot of layers to that too. I mean, custom leather work and and shoeing horses and what do you do? And you manage a ranch. What's that entail?
2: Um, we manage about. Oh, it's about 23,000 acres here. And, uh, it's mostly for wildlife. We've had some, we've had some cattle on it, but it's, it's mostly managed for wildlife. So, and that's been, that's been a blessing that, that, uh, ranch managing deal. Just, we just love wildlife and, and it's fun to take some country that's in the past, it was kind of beat up a little bit. And now we've, we've cut back on numbers we're doing habitat stuff and it's really coming on it's crazy the difference we've seen just in two years of having it so so,
1: so when you talk about doing the habitat management stuff is that w- in conjunction with programming through the state or working no. with state state biologists are you guys biologists or what's the story there
2: no we're kind of just doing everything on our own through the ranch um we're doing a lot of mulching and planning and, but we haven't went through any government programs. We're just doing everything ourselves through the ranch. So do you
1: get, do you get, um, advice from the, the state biologist or anything?
2: Yeah, we have. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've reached out to some people and, and got some ideas and, and then we're just kind of putting our own little twist on it to see what works. And I mean, it's a learning process every day, but. It's it's really coming on. It's pretty exciting, really.
1: Yeah, that is cool. I mean, I, back here, you know, whitetail management and things like that is huge. But you know, you're talking about doing whitetail management on 90 acres. Some people do it on smaller tracks, up to you know, 300 acres. Where I'm at is is it's a, a big, lot. It's a big piece of property. Oh yeah, that's like and, and you 5, guys are talking about here. So yeah, you you guys are talking about 23,000 acres. Yeah. That is crazy. It's yes, how how so when we talk about a ranch that size, given perspective back here, can you drive across that in a day? Can you get across? It oh in a yeah, day? oh yeah. Can Can you ride a horse across it in a day?
2: Yeah, it'd be a long day, but you bet you can get across it in a day. You bet. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's it's just amazing.
2: Yeah, and it's. It's really versatile. I mean it's got antelope on it. It's just loaded in bears. Um, got a really good lion population on it. Obviously whitetail, mule deer, elk, um, there's quail on it, turkey. No, so kidding. it's yeah, it's really neat country. It goes from flat cactus country to kind of subalpine type country at the top gonna... of it. So yeah. what's the really...
1: elevate what's the elevation? Where you know your lowest uh, point to your highest point
2: um I'm not I can't remember on the lowest, but it goes over it's about probably eighty five hundred on the highest,
1: yeah, so, so if you and get it's mesa it
2: country it's you know it's the mesa country like it runs from i mean that mesa runs from Trinidad pretty much clear to oklahoma that that big mesa that runs east of i twenty five and it's some of that mesa country
1: yeah so. man that is cool that's yeah. cool i when i was a younger man i i did have you know a lot of dreams of doing that and then got employed and you know just life and but i love getting out there every chance i get those mountains they speak to my soul and and yes. uh I just god's a lot country of God. chris it, it really is yes sir it is it is and and every time I talk to people out there, you guys always have a smile on your face. You know, you're, you're always smiling and just loving yeah. life. It's great. Yeah.
2: Yes, sir. Yeah. No doubt.
1: Okay. So, so you outfit for all that stuff, but the reason you're on here is because of your hound hunting. Would you, how would you characterize your hounds, hound hunting? Is that your favorite thing to do or is that your... Oh yeah. You
2: know? I mean, we, we love hunting everything. I mean, we... I don't guess there's anything that we don't like to hunt, but the the dog deal is by far our mm-hmm. biggest passion. It yeah. really is. It's been the hardest. It's probably been the hardest thing, but it's the most rewarding thing that we've done in the hunting world is the so, hounds.
1: So when you're when when you're outfitting and you have people uh, that you're outfitting there that may be there for a trophy elk or, you know, on the ranch or pronghorn or whatever. And they ask questions about hounds and things like that. Uh, are they curious about it or do they understand it? Do they see your passion on it? You know, what's, what's the normal reaction from your typical ungulate hunter? Do they just dismiss it and move on? Or what have you seen? You
2: know, most of them are, they, they really respect it. You know, I've, I'm always hearing people talk about like the bird guys and the duck guys, you know, the pointer guys, the lab guys, they don't necessarily, it's hard to explain. It's like, they don't, they get into the whole fair chase thing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I've personally, Chris, I've never dealt with that with a hunter. I've never. Had that conversation with somebody that with a hunter that just did not approve of hound hunting. So, yeah. everything that I've all the conversations I've ever had through all these years have always been positive with hunter to hunter, yeah, conversations. So, and it seems like everybody wants to do it, you know, at mm-hmm. least once. These hunters that we get in camp, all of them want to. They want to go on a bear chase. They want to go on a lion chase and they all want to, and there's get to be tons of people that have done it and they all speak highly of it. I mean,
1: yeah,
2: they just, they loved it. I mean, they see all the work and dedication and time and money it, that we all put into it. And it's just, mm-hmm. I've always got great feedback from hunters <laughs>
1: about it. The reason I asked that question is because you said for you, I mean, I've been through your Instagram profiles and your Facebook photos and all that stuff. And you're, you've got big horn sheep and you've got monster elk and great mule deer and pronghorn and all this stuff. And yet you said that, that the hound part has been the hardest for you. What parts have been hard?
2: You know, my brother and I, we've been into hounds for, I, it's right at twenty-two years. And we just wanted to, we just wanted to kill a mountain lion, Chris. And the, the only way we knew of doing that successfully was with hounds. So I literally found an ad for some walker dogs for sale out of South Dakota in the back of a fur fish and game magazine. And that's how <laughs> that is literally how we bought our first hound. Was how did of, that turn back, out? He turned out pretty good. Yeah. He, yes. He, he actually made a lion dog. He wasn't a rock star, but he dang sure could go catch one.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, so that's kind of how it started. Really, just we just wanted to hunt a lion, and that was the only way to do it. So we we made it happen.
1: Were you outfitting at the time?
2: No. Uh. Uh-uh. That was
1: before the outfitting. No. Day. It
2: was. It was quite some time after that till we started we've we've guided our whole adult life but we wasn't you know we wasn't guiding any lion or nothing like that it was years later after getting hounds when we started doing the the lion guiding stuff
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was years down the road but uh but yeah i mean we were doing we were guiding deer and elk you know ungulates and whatnot yeah so you know what, at that time.
1: what other challenge do you have with you know get breaking into that
2: um just the the challenges was just getting a pack that's that's versatile that's that's good that's consistent with you know going out and catching game and you know we're fortunate because the first half of our our hound career was all with telemetry you know we had it way better than the old timers but it's it was still harder than it is now. You know, Uh these, these garments, if his, I mean, it's just a game changer, but so we, you know, we, it was always a learning deal with telemetry and, and we didn't have any old timers to go out with and show us the ropes. I mean, Jason and I just winged it. Literally, we just (laughs) winged it. And, and, you know, I think we'd have been a lot further along if we could have, apprenticed under somebody that has had hounds for you know decades and could have showed us the ropes well we didn't have that so but I mean looking back it was fun I'm kind of embarrassed on some of the things that we tried and did back in the day but uh it's like all what? Good.
1: like uh, what would you like what
2: just certain things that we'd be you know blindsided with on a track and with a dog and why just certain things we did just didn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think looking back, you know, I just, it's just, we didn't handle it like we should have. And, but we didn't know, you know, it just, just you didn't learn, know.
1: Don't you think though you learn a lot more when you're making mistakes when you, when you're not Oh successful? yeah.
2: Oh yeah. That's why, uh, I mean, that's why we, you know, we love, Things like traditional archery—that's why we love dry ground line hunting because failure is failure is good in ways, you know. I yeah. mean, failure is is rewarding when you win after failing for you know time and time again. And so, Jason and I—we've always just we we like struggle. It struggle turns our crank. It it just does. We don't like things easy. Um, <laughs> and like dry ground line hunting dry ground line hunting is extremely frustrating it's difficult it takes so much more time than you know when you're on the snow to mm-hmm. to get it accomplished and and now that's just that's our number one love is dry ground line hunting
1: well so do you still find it a challenge even 22 years later is it still oh challenging absolutely to you?
2: Yes. every day's a challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're learning something constantly. It seems like every time we make a spin with the dogs, we're learning something, you know, and we're, and we, we're seeking that. We love to learn yeah. different things when we're, when we're on the ground with the dogs and the dogs have taught us so much over the years. It's just, it's crazy really what, what the dogs can teach a man.
1: When you first when you got your first hounds, how many? How long did it take you before you caught your first lion?
2: You know I can't remember exactly, Chris, but it was the you know the first winter we had dogs, we caught a few lions, mm-hmm. but uh, if dang sure wasn't in large numbers by no means, but if that first winter, um, we did catch a few.
1: So when you bought the, when you bought that first hound from South Dakota, was he already started on cats or was he a puppy or, you know, no, was he
2: it? was a pup. Yep. He was a pup. We did end up, we bought a good, a real nice dog out of Southern Utah around that same time, years and years ago, you know, 22 years ago or whatever. And, uh, she was a nice, nice little dog. She, and she had been on quite a few lines. So mm-hmm. she, she got us rolling she helped that walker pup and we ended up, you know, having a few more that first year and and but the one dog danchur got us off our feet.
1: Yeah, so when you um as you've got this puppy and you've got this older dog that had already caught, you know, several lion what sort of things did you learn with from the older dog? Did she kind of teach you guys excuse me did she kind of teach you guys how to lion hunt then
2: would that be fair to say oh yeah absolutely yeah she did and it just it's funny because one time we were we were hunting these dogs our very first dogs and we turned on a track and the dogs went up on this big ridge and this old she was a Dunkin' bread black and tan bitch out of utah and she came back to the road they went up there and they milled around forever and they got they made a big lose and she ended up coming back down to the road and them other dogs screamed out of there and and left and went over the ridge and you you were thinking deer race Oh no, we were, we were mad at the old dog. like, what is she, what is going on? Why is she not up there trailing? And yeah, come to find out all them other dogs were running, running a mule deer clear (laughs) into the next drainage. And so she was really the, she was the smart one of the day. And we didn't realize it at the moment, you know, but that's just part of, you know, we just didn't know. We right. instantly blamed the, blame the old black and tan, you know, when she you was really. The, on you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that I've learned is you can have a, a broke dog off a of whitetail here in Indiana. I mean, I I've got a, a female. She's a, she's an older dog. Now I have, I couldn't, I couldn't pour a deer on her and make her run it. You know, I, I mean, she is, she won't yeah. do it in Indiana, but there's something about, I'll tell you what she ran. She ran a daggone moose. She, she jumped a moose out of a bed and she's never seen anything like that before. And they're so big <laughs> and animated. It, oh my <laughs> gosh. She, she showed you, she showed me she knew how to run a moose. And she showed dead. that That's moose fun. too. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding. But, uh, I don't know what it was but I've, I've taken a few hounds from here out to your country, you know, out in the West there. And, and I got to spend a a few days with, with hounds that haven't been out there breaking them off trash because you know, what they call that when mule deer, mule deer don't hop, they hop along, but it's different than the way a whitetail runs.
2: Yeah. they And they're just starting
1: starting. Yeah. Yeah. And and when they do that, there's something animated about that that just triggers them. I mean, it's yeah. crazy.
2: Yeah, it's crazy what dogs pull on a guy sometimes. It just, oh, it can be frustrating. But it's just dogs being dogs, you know. They all make mistakes, just like so, us.
1: So back to that story, did uh, she, they ran over the ridge with a mule deer. Uh, did they just make a lose up there, and and you couldn't get them back on it, and then you're gathering up pounds, or what are you doing then? Yeah,
2: we we lost it. Yep, struck out that day.
1: Yeah. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Well, what is the majority of the hunting you do is uh, condition wise, you down towards Trinidad, because is that would that be considered the red rock, red rock country? Is that still no? A bit south um, of you?
2: There is dang sure some red rock country east of us, and we do. Okay we do lion hunt it but uh we are just absolutely blessed where we live being houndsmen because we get the the best of both worlds here because we've got snow country to the west and then we can go east of where we live and get into just full-blown dry ground hunting down there so it is yeah it's so versatile here and and location is everything you know i mean we have a really good population of lions um and location is everything and i just we are really fortunate where we live
1: yeah yeah what kind of hounds do you like to keep keep on your place we've had these conversations and stuff and talked we had a big full-blown conversation about hounds last night uh, on the phone but uh you know what kind of hounds do you like to keep
2: You know, we just got a bunch of crossed up stuff, Chris, um, kind of typical of, you know, guys in the West. Um, we don't have anything purebred, you know, right now at at the moment, but nothing against anything purebred. We just don't have anything. Um, we just, I, I just call them grade dogs, you know, just Mm great stuff. We just breed good to the good and we've got stuff out of, uh, Old Mexico, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, and Nevada. What kind of hounds
1: come out of that's That's interesting. What kind of hounds come out of uh, out of Old Mexico?
2: Well, we got this. We got this bitch years ago down there in the West Sierra Madre Mountains in Sonora, Mexico, and you wouldn't believe it, Chris, but this dog was half Bassett. And yeah. to this day, she's dead now. I lost her from cancer three years ago. But to this day, that was the most lion-minded hound that I've ever seen in my life. She was, she was a big dog. She had a, her confirmation was goofy, kind of like, you know, like a basset. And, but gosh, she was really, really intelligent um, and just she was a line catching machine and we've got, we've got quite a bit of, of her blood left in our line here now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, and I'm always trying to breed up. I don't want to just breed our own stuff and just kind of stay in, in one place. I'm always venturing out and, and trying to get, you know, stuff from the outside to, to just keep breeding up. I call it. And You know, we've got some really nice stuff that I'm really liking out of Texas, out of West Texas. Good rancher friend of mine down there. Um, I've got stuff from Cleve Dwyer out of Nevada that I really, really like. Um, Cleve runs kind of a smaller, really a kind of a pound track type of dog. Mm -hmm. And we've got a little bit of everything. I mean, we've got dogs that that, will, dang sure kind of stand on their head and pound on one and then we've got dogs that they'll really move and drift and when they lose it they're out you know out front circling and trying to find it you know kind of leaping up trying to find it and go on and Mm -hmm. so we've got a little bit of everything and i think that's it's it's worked for us um having all that versatility in our pack you know it just seems like the dog that leaps out there two or three five hundred yards can sometimes get it rolling again and then sometimes it's the dog in the back that's pounding track for track that gets you lined out it just mm-hmm. you just never know and i think having a little bit of everything is is huge we've got do some
1: you, what's that oh i was just going to ask do you run do you run both types in the same pack when you're when you're tip when you load oh, yeah. the truck when you load the truck in the morning and you go out to the dog lot you put a variety of styles of hounds in your box when you go hunting.
2: Yes, we do. Yeah, so we you, do. You we take... only have uh brother and I only have 13 dogs between both of us. You know, in Colorado, we hunt, we can hunt eight at a time. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, we don't, we're, we we do not like to hunt a lot of dogs anyway. When I dry ground hunt, I like to hunt eight. And then, uh, you know, when we're hunting snow. We like to, leave it like two to four yeah jason will take a handful i'll take a handful and we'll split and go but uh but dry ground i i like to have six to eight dogs on the ground
1: why why do you prefer to have that many
2: just more noses that you know to strike they're Mm -hmm. just you know when you're casting out i mean we we don't keep our dogs tight when we cast. We really cast them out. I mean, they'll sometimes they'll be two or three hundred yards. They'll be up on the left side of a canyon or the right side or clear up the drainage, and it just it only takes one dog to strike. And I mean, there's so many times that you just you literally ride or hike right over a line track and nothing hits them, you know. And I think when you have a lot of dogs on the ground or, you know, our eight dogs on the ground, you have a lot better chance of, of hitting a track than, as opposed to having four. So.
1: Yeah. You're just, so your, your thought is I'll increase my odds by having more noses out there. Absolutely. Trying to find, find the track. 100%. Well, you, so when you, when you talk about riding or walking over, walking over a track and they can't take it, um. What do you think that what do you what do you think causes that? If you can see it and they can't take it, what do you think is going on there?
2: Well, most of the time we don't see it. We just you know, like I've had there's been numerous times we'll have a pack of dogs and I'll have a slow we'll have a slow dog like literally behind us, just kind of moseying behind us working the ground and I'll have dogs clear up in front of me and the dog behind us will strike one. And it's crazy. We've, we've experienced this a lot. Them uh, them dogs in the front, they literally walked right over the track and never hit it. But yet hmm. the, the old dog in the back that's really slow, he'll, he hits it, and then them other dogs hear him. They come blowing back to him, and then they take the track and go on with it and catch him, you know? So it's, it's crazy because they just flat missed it. They literally just, they, they walked over and did not, they just didn't hit it. I think it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, a dog, especially if we're on a, on a big trail or a two track, you know, them dogs would kind of pick their head up and just kind of trot. That's why I can't stand hunting on, on dirt roads. Cause the dogs just, they'll kind of just put their head up and just, kind of start trotting along instead of really yeah. working the ground i like you know tight canyons where you, them dogs are really working the rocks and working the brush and
1: so your style of hunting you're not roading dogs a lot then from what you say i mean you're you're getting out of the truck and and walking into those tight spots where you can't get vehicles and stuff like that
2: yes that we gonna? we rarely rode dogs with the you know kick dogs out in the front Mm -hmm. out of of a side-by-side we do a lot of hunting out of side-by-sides but it's usually when we got snow Mm -hmm. but but when we're dry ground hunting we're usually free casting and on foot or horseback
1: let's get back i want to talk about more about that the dynamic of that deal you're talking about about the the front dogs just overrunning that and then the thing that caught my attention was the fact that the slower dog will will strike it and start moving it out, and then your other dogs will come back in and and they'll take it. Then what what what's that all? What do you think that is all about?
2: I don't know. I just they just all it boils down to is they just missed it. Yeah, it's not that their nose is no worse or you know any hotter than the dog that did strike it they just they just flat missed it that's all it boils down to because i've yes. seen that a lot we used to have this old blue tick dog that just i mean he he worked the ground crazy slow you know and he he was really good for striking because he 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 was so slow about it and he didn't miss miss a lot but you know them dogs sometimes them dogs just They just walked right over them.
1: Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. They have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog trade dealer. Owner Chris Gerth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Gerth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence talk I sit here and I think about the values you know all of us want that that big flashy you know go hard hunting hard and and you know all this chrome and man they're really looking good and you know we have sometimes miss the value of the methodical hound like you say that that doesn't miss anything and it's such a strange thing for us because, especially where I'm at I mean it's When, when you unsnap dogs in the dark to coon hunt, then you don't want to see them again until you're pulling them off a tree and and you expect them to go hunting hard and get in there and get a coon treat as quick as they can, especially in the competition coon dog thing. And it's just, it's a different world for, you know, that, that I grew up in. So if, if we had, I remember those types of dogs back when I first started hunting, I may, I probably even had some of them. You know, where, where, but after I figured out that, you know, old blue or the old, whatever dog out there that's flipping over every leaf to, to try to tree a coon, I can tree four or five with a different style of hound here. Yes. But, But when you get into that diverse area that you're hunting and you start thinking about that, that a lot of the hounds that I've got here you know, they would miss them too. They just run right past them. They're not going to slow down that
2: much. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, really uh, in the dry ground world, those, those strike dogs are, they are no doubt the most important dog in the pack. There's yeah. no, you know, so. The,
1: the thing that blows my mind is though, is the, you know, the high strung, get out there, flashy, once old, once old, strike dog hits it they're like oh okay well we better go back there and they dial it in you know they dial it all in they refocus and it's like okay so yeah we missed this one we're glad you're with us and then they start rolling it like they they, yeah. they should have never missed it
2: yeah and like i mean we'll have eight say we have eight dogs on the ground and we're just working up some country well not I don't count on all eight of those dogs striking. Mm-hmm. They they do at times, but we have a few dogs that are obviously better than, than others. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying these strike dogs are trailing and catching better because they're not, but it just seems like them strike dogs, they're just they're just working a little bit different. You know they're they're working slower, more methodical with it, and it's just and you gotta have a little bit of everything really i mean some of some of my favorite dogs that I own i don't they rarely will strike them. they're mm-hmm. rarely the first dog to strike, but when when we do get a strike and them dogs get one heated up and get it nice and fresh, them these other dogs they will they'll flat leave some of them other ones and go catch them. You know,
1: that's the cool thing because I was going to ask you what would happen if you had all slow methodical type dogs.
2: I don't like them. I I don't like slow. I, the problem with them slow, just stand on your stand on their head type of dogs. A lot of them just, gosh, it's, it's kind of a hindrance because they they're not fast enough to really get a line up and and go blow one up a tree you know Mm -hmm. they pound and pound and pound and they they're slow and and i like i like a dog once once they do strike one and and they can get it fresh i like them where they can flat move on one and and pressure it up Mm mm-hmm Cause there's so many times them lions will get out in front of them dogs, especially in the dry ground. I mean, I've even seen it in snow. Them dogs will get out in front of them dogs and they'll just, they'll hit a trot and you just, you're not going to catch them. You know, you're, you're just mm-hmm. not.
1: Yeah. They can't put enough pressure on them.
2: They to, can't to put, catch them. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, so, um, uh, Man, I had a question and I got reeled in by what you were saying.
2: And I, we don't consider our dogs super cold-nosed, Chris. We just, you know, I don't know how to really gauge them. We don't hunt with enough dogs, with enough people to really gauge them. But I just, I mean, I think they're, I'm dang sure not going to say they're super cold. I just, you know, but. It seems like them medium-nosed dogs, when they do strike a track, it's a catchable
1: lion. You know, mm-hmm. I see a lot. I see a lot more guys hunting dogs like that. You know, with with limited time, limited opportunities to get out there and hunt, and things like that. Then, you know, everybody talks about wanting to have the old cold-nosed dog, but if you're spending all day, you say you got you got two day, you got a full-time job, and you got two days a week to hunt. And you spend both of those days cold trailing on stuff that that you can't catch, man. That'd be frustrating. That'd get old quick. It would, so
2: I, yeah. And I don't, I don't like that. And it's not. I mean, don't get me wrong here. I don't want to sound negative because I absolutely love to trail lions, but I like catching them too. You know, yeah. <laughs> so many guys do. They say, well. It's just about the dogs. I don't care if I catch the lion. Well, who wants to shoot a basketball and never make a Make it. Who, you know? I mean, it's it makes no yeah. sense to me to have that mentality. I mean, if you're going to trail lions, you at least sometimes you need to be catching them too, you know? And yeah. Yeah. my brother and I are all about getting them caught. And right. if I can't get one caught, I'll I'll lay up at night for Two hours just running it through my brain, trying to figure out why I couldn't catch it. you know it's <laughs> yeah. it drives me crazy when I can't get one caught, but that's just us you know we well that's we what absolutely makes, love the trailing, but we love the catching too, you know that's what
1: makes great hunters you know great not only great houndsmen but great hunters, you know you don't have to spend money on hunting license and and archery equipment and all this other stuff just to go hike through nature and enjoy exactly. you know yeah you know and, and uh you don't have if you just want to have a dog and watch him sniff around on stuff man i got a boxer and a pit bull in this house i can take yeah. on a walk anytime i want and watch him sniff every track in the woods you know but Absolutely. i like catching stuff
2: i love to catch game love to catch yeah yeah
1: well hey i want to i want to shift gears a little bit and um We did, we did a podcast last week on aggression and, um, I listened to that thing the other day and I realized that I had some aggression going on because we recorded that thing the night before the uh, Colorado Senate hearing. I'd been pounding away on, on, you know, every getting all the information and talking to people about all that stuff that was going on out there in Colorado and, uh, I think I was a little bit aggressive about the whole thing after I listened to myself on that podcast and I needed to talk to you to get lightened up a little bit, but, uh, you attended that meeting in Denver and, and I wanted to talk about what happened and, and get your takeaways from it and your experience and, and the whole thing. Yeah, it was,
2: I learned a lot, uh, my nephew and I went up there, uh, my nephew, Justin, and he's a houndsman too. And he's a lot more intelligent than I am when it comes to legislature and politics and everything. So I was sure grateful to have him up there. Cause I sure asked him a lot of questions about what was going on at certain times of the day. And, you know, it, I mean, we beat it, Chris, it was, we ended up beating it four to one, but there was a lot of, lot of hunters showed up. It was, it was humbling being around all them houndsmen and trappers. And I, I personally wish there was four times more in the army, but there, Mm -hmm. you know, the, this, there was a big storm the day before this, this deal. And uh you know a lot of ranchers couldn 't make it. There was a, many ranchers that were planning on going, and we got hammered with snow. It was fifteen below zero you know and a lot of those ranchers had to stay home and bust ice and feed cows and so you they make it you know but uh the people that were there was just wonderful i mean their test their testimonies was just awesome um very you know everybody really done their homework uh there was a lot of women that spoke and they just knocked it out of the park
1: one of those was was naomi yates from uh she's up in northern colorado she's been on the podcast before and i was i listened to the whole thing you and i were swapping texts back and forth through the whole thing and yeah and uh i was wanting to i was gonna jump on a plane we we were discussing me coming out and then we got hammered by a storm too and um had the ice and I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't in the cards for me to be able to do it. I wanted to just be in that crowd and stand with you Colorado Houndsman and, and, uh, you know, experience that with you. But, um, so, so what were, what was your overall impression of the whole process? The way, the way, I mean, was this your first time that you've ever went to the cap, gone to the cap capital for an event like this?
2: Yes, it is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I'm ignorant to it. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, Chris, I just, I haven't done enough of this stuff. I've always been one of them guys that I don't like it. So I've never like really tried to learn about it because I can't, I've, I've never been one to, to get into politics or anything. And it's, it's to the point now where, boy, we better get into politics uh, you know, Mm -hmm. learn the political side of the hunting and everything, because I mean, they're trying to take it on a daily now and I've got to educate myself and a, you know, many other folks need to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful for, there's a lot of people out there that's really, really pushing for us. There truly is. And they're, they're just, my hat's off to everybody my hat's off to everybody that was at that that meeting to you know all the everybody that testified you know opposing SB 22031 they just i mean they knocked it out of the park the the hunters they didn't get mad there was no lashing out nobody showed their rear ends it was professional Everybody spoke well, spoke intelligently. And I tell you what, it was a really a proud day to, to be a hunter. It really yeah. was.
1: The testimony was really good. Um, it was, well, like you said, as well thought out. how How did you feel when the people that were supporting the bill spoke? You know, what were some of the the feelings you got there, you know, from HSUS and well, Mountain Lion Foundation and all of you that.
2: Know, I, everything I go into, Chris, I always go into with a with an open mind because, I mean, you just you narrow yourself to to one way of thinking and you're just not going to gain much ground, in my opinion. And so when everybody spoke. That was, you know, for banning, I mean, I really I really listened. And to be honest, I heard more lies that day from those people. You, you literally can't believe it. I was blown away at the lies they were saying. And I was, and I, I mean, I didn't put my guard up and immediately, you know, shun them. I listened and I was, you know, cause I want to learn. I want, I want their input too. We can learn something from everybody and we can learn something from both sides. And, but there was so much false information that it just, it turned my stomach. The thing,
1: the thing that I learned from them is how to defeat them the next time. You know, that's, that's what I'm always looking for. Yeah. Uh, Those are the takeaways. I always, I always try to spot that I listen to those testimonies and I, I go ahead and I think how I would defeat that conversation. Um, The problem is... What's that? No, go ahead. The problem is what?
2: The problem is it doesn't matter the facts of the situation, the science behind it. They were twisting it however they wanted to twist it to have it their way. And it's just, I mean, it was the, crazy to me, the, the things that they were pulling or trying to pull. It just, it blew me away.
1: I'm going to give credit to Carrie Donovan. Uh, is that her name? Don Carrie Donovan? Was that her name? The chair of that committee? Mm-hmm. The rancher? Uh, you know, after she, the HSUS got up there and, and gave their testimony and talked about, you know, this... Uh, unchecked predator management is not going to affect, you know, calf mortality rate, rates or, or livestock depredation. It's not going to affect any of that. And Carrie Donovan turns around and she says, well, I'm a rancher and I've seen three lion kills on my ranch. You know, we live in that corridor and I see it. And she's, she's a Democrat and she she stood up and she's like, mm, that's not right. Right. So I, lo- I that was that was huge. That was like for me, that was the turning point in the meeting um, when I started really getting good feelings, because with that bill, three of the sponsors had dropped off and there was one sponsor remaining and she sits on the board. And then there were two Republicans on there and Donovan. So that left one vote to swing. And by her saying that, I I really started feeling good about it. See and I was
2: gosh I wasn't sure
1: I know you seemed to you like man this isn't looking good
2: Oh Chris I was I was like seriously nervous clear to the last to the last person that testified I I, I was just I didn't have a good feeling about it. and one of the problems was when they started the uh the remote the people remote when they started talking, I bet we went seven or eight in a row that was for the bill. And I mm-hmm. was like, Oh my God, is this a setup or what the heck? Like we yeah. need, we need to throw somebody opposing in here any second now. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I was, yeah. After when the remote deal started, I was seriously nervous just cause it was one Right after the other, right after the other, and it just, yeah. I mean, I was, I was spooked there for a
1: while. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. What? How was the engagement from the commissioners that were the or the senators that sit on this committee? The committee members. How did they react? Did they have a time at the end where they could speak and give their spin on it? How did you feel about that? Yeah, they did.
2: They, uh, they all spoke and they were they were really wanting some explanation from the CPW you know and the CPW stayed neutral through this deal which was extremely frustrating um i know there's restraints there but it was still frustrating and you know they were calling them out chris did mm-hmm. they wanted, they wanted answers you know right and but that, you know, that part of it, I, I don't understand it completely. So,
1: uh, we've talked about it a little bit and I get frustrated when I was in that professional role, it was extremely frustrating for me to attend a meeting and not be able to say things. And, um, we actually, and we actually got orders from our Main office, you know, our central office. There, that if you attend this meeting, you're not to say anything. And the thing about the com- the committee members, they know that. They know that that's been put out there. And so, they're asking a a trick question, and they already know that they can't speak. So it really puts puts those state employees, those professionals that have the answers, uh, in a trick bag. If they answer, then then they lose their job. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, then they're not dedicated. If they can't stand up, they're not dedicated. Well, a lot of those guys are you and me, you know, they're hunters and, and they really, they really want to do that. But so they've got to bide their time. You know, they're just like, man, if I lose this job, they're going to put somebody that's an anti-hunter or somebody that's not going to be favorable for hunting in my position. And then what do you do? I mean, if, if, if governor Polis fired, the department heads out there and that, that are conservatives and replaced them all with people that want to take our freedoms, man, that put us in a terrible position.
2: It would. And gosh, I mean, something needs to change because I mean, we as hunters, we need the CPW and they need us just as bad, you know, who's
1: going to, who's going to bring the facts out if they can't talk. Yeah, that's the frustrating exactly. thing. Who's who's gonna speak the truth?
2: Exactly. There won't be any truth because because they're the only ones that's doing that's spending millions of dollars doing the research to get the answers. They are the mm-hmm. only ones doing it. You know, PETA in HSUS, they spend millions trying to ban honey. They're not spending millions on wildlife conservation.
1: Yeah, their data, their data isn't even right when they start talking, just like, just like, you know, Senator Donovan put that, put that uh, woman down when, when she said there weren't any mortality rates, you know, she's like, um, I can debunk that right here. But so, so the thing that I saw, and this is maybe the, the message, yeah, we get frustrated, but. Organizations like the Wild Sheep Foundation and Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Colorado Houndsmen, they get their information from somebody. They may not be able to talk at that meeting, but they can tell the stakeholders and give them the data. And that's what I heard was those non-governmental organizations, the stakeholders that were representing us, they brought it forward. And that's the beautiful thing about, about supporting organizations that can do that for you. And and learning how that system works. It's a, it's a, it's a racket. It's a political racket. And the guy, the people that are the science, science science-based, the wildlife managers have to learn the game. And I didn't learn it. I was terrible at it. And I always wanted to walk in and, and that's why, you know, I, I never got to a high level. You know, I, I was a field, field level supervisor when I retired.
2: Yeah, and there was there was some ex CPW employees there that did that did get up and speak, Chris, and they were yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, they
2: were awesome because you're yep. talking about guys that were, you know, they were neck deep in wildlife management and conservation, and they know and they, but they didn't they didn't have to worry about getting fired. You know,
1: yeah, their pensions coming, baby. They're, they're done. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yep. that's what that's what I've told that's what I, I've even said it on this podcast. I can say whatever I want now. I can, you know, I can I don't have to be worried about losing my job, losing my pinch, and all that stuff. That's but that's you true. know, a lot of those guys that sit in those the it, it really troubles me when I see houndsmen or hunters say, Man, the CPEW is corrupt or the Indiana DNR is corrupt. There are some hardcore hunting guys in there that that if we get if we lose those guys, man, we're in deep trouble so we've got to respect we've got to respect the fact that they're smart enough to know that I need to keep my mouth shut in this meeting I need to keep my emotions under control. I know they're lying, I hate it I don't even like the person I'm working for I don't like my I've worked for governors I didn't like. I've worked for department heads I didn't like, but in retrospect, watching it now, since I'm removed from it, I saw the value of those guys that went to those meetings and kept their mouths shut and did the real work over here behind the scenes. It was really effective. They, they, they got it done. They knew the right people to talk to that could talk to that Senator sitting on the committee. Right. Right. And they, they weren't, and they weren't in jeopardy you know, they weren't in jeopardy at all. Then they were completely insulated and tomorrow they can go out and they can go back to work for hunters and yes. the wildlife.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I
1: just, I think
2: we need, a. I I just, none of us can stress enough how important it is for gosh, we've, we've got to get more educated and got to get I mean, we've got to get so many more people involved. Even if you're, even if you're not a, a houndsman, you don't have to own a dog. We need rancher support. We need people. We need the guys that and gals that rodeo. You know, yeah. I mean,
1: your family's in rodeo. Look,
2: yeah, I mean, they look at flanking a bronc or throwing a steer, just as barbaric. Is running the lion down with a pack of dogs, Chris. Yeah. They're all these all these people are cut from the same cloth. And we've got a everybody has got to get together and you know, if, if, if they try to take something, you know, say they tr- they try to outlaw calf roping. Well, you know what? I think hunters need to go stand with with the rodeo people and fight it. And vice versa, the rodeo people need to come and fight with, with the hunters and the elk hunters need to fight with the houndsmen. The houndsmen need to fight with the elk hunters. And we've got to, we've got to, everybody has got to have each other's backs on this. Even if, even if you're not a lion hunter, believe me, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna go down the chain because they want all of it. They don't want one thing. They want all of it. Yep. You know, it's just sure. like it's just like the Pause Act, you know, it's just it's unbelievable. Initiative sixteen. I don't know if you ever looked into that last year. That was the most insane thing that I've ever seen in my life. And luckily we got it shut down, but it's the same people that's trying to take our line, honey. It's you know, that that mm-hmm. done the pause act. Same thing.
1: Well, if they can take if they can take away your ability to own livestock and ha- animals and hounds and tell you how you got to house them and I mean can you imagine what's the temperature there today?
2: Yeah, when I was out a bit ago, it was twenty eight.
1: Twenty eight. So there's places in the east right now that say when it's below thirty two degrees, your dog can only be outside for no more than thirty minutes. I mean, wow. local ordinances say that. so are you bringing 13 hounds in your house today because it's 28 degrees they are out there laying i i I was just outside my house too it was it was 19 here this morning my plot hound was laying outside his box on a pile of straw in the sunshine soaking up sun. you know yeah i didn't make him lay out there he's got a dog house insulated dog house with straw and everything and he's like man it's a nice day i'm gonna go out and sun myself yeah they they know there's they know
2: absolutely they do
1: yeah Well, Josh, I'll tell you what, man, I think, I think it's, I applaud you for, for going. Um, I don't know if it was a deal where I, I kind of called you at a a time there and asked you if you were going, I, I think you were already planning on going. Um, but I was glad that you went and I had somebody that I could talk to while you were there. And, um, I like your energy. I think, I think that, you know, more houndsmen need to, I'm sure you, you probably didn't have anything else to do that day. Did you?
2: Oh no, not a bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not a bit. It wouldn't have been a good day to hunt. You didn't have anything to do in the leather shop, you know, there no. wasn't anything to do on the ranch, you know, Hey, why don't we just drive up to Denver? How long did it take you to drive to Denver?
2: It took a little over three hours because of weather.
1: What's it like when they're in bad weather?
2: Oh, it's right at three hours, I guess. Yeah. When when the open roads.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a trek by the time. And that meeting was long, man. That thing went from one thirty. What time do you guys convene? You know.
2: We left the Capitol the after meeting. five. Yeah. We, we left the Capitol. So, but it was, gosh, it was, it was worth it just to be there and you know represent our tradition and we just need a lot more of us doing it Chris did did you kind of
1: have a sense of pride knowing that you were doing something you know that you were doing your part
2: oh 100 yeah yeah everybody yeah. there did you know and yeah. what we're doing is a good thing
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: it truly is a good thing and it's our job to, to reach out and, and start educating the non hunters and the people that's kind of sitting right there in the middle, you know, wave, you know, not sure which way to lean. And it's, it's up to all of us to mm-hmm. educate people and, and it's, it's easy, Chris, because all we have to do is speak the truth it's, and, and speak, you know the science behind wildlife management and conservation and you know i mean this whole lion deal it 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 goes way back from now i mean back years and years ago lions were feared by people Mm that they have a wholly different outlook on lions in this day and age i mean back in the day I mean, people were trying to eradicate them. They were snaring them. They were leg-hold trapping them. They were running them with dogs. They were dumping poison all over carcasses. I mean, people wanted them dead. They they were a threat to humans. They were a threat to livestock, to pets. And in 1965, Colorado, I, I don't know if it was the first state. I think California and Colorado were the first two states to start managing Mount lions, mm-hmm. and Chris, the thing is, is okay. We started managing mount lions in 1965 in the state of Colorado because we learned that hunting them with no season or no anything, just like a bounty, is bad for the species, and we we learned that years and years ago.
1: And it has, it spills over into your deer herds. It spills over into your elk. It, so, you know, all that stuff is interconnected and it all plays off of each other. And so it's important that you manage every aspect of it. You know, the thing about the thing, you know, you talked about the non-hunter and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, by the way, I that that whole initiative to manage lions was a con conjunction a collaborative effort between ranchers and hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the anti-hunting crowd that says, hey, we need to we need to no. save the mountain lions. It was You're, hunters right. as ranchers.
2: It was people like you and I that started it. We and, wanted to preserve a precious species.
1: Yes. There, is,
2: what, it, is what we did.
1: Yeah. Yep and that's what i that was my takeaway look, look watching this whole thing or listening to this whole meeting and stuff is um you know you had people there that that were testifying supporting the bill and they were using words like they're so beautiful they're so cute they're so this or so that and trying to paint hunters as people that did not care and the whole thing that is, was missing in their message is there wouldn't be one if it wasn't for the hunters that, that right. stepped in to begin with. And, but the, the people in the middle, the non hunters, those are the people that, you know, they got a lot of, they're, they do, they, they can see through the bull, bull crap. And, and you're never going to change that. I don't care that lady lost, lost last Thursday from HSUS she lost but she's not gonna we didn't change her mind she's just gonna Uh, she's just gonna reorganize and try to figure out a different way to do it but the people that testified that brought that message to the people sitting in the audience that may not be hunters they may not be ranchers they're just concerned citizens those are the minds that were changed and those are the minds that we need to continue to 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 take care of
2: yeah and since we started Managing lions in 65, you know, going from an unregulated deal to now we're managing lions. From that point to now, Chris, lion populations have exploded. They have been on the rise through all these years, and they're Mm -hmm. still on the rise. I mean, you talk about a true, legit success story. Mount lions are a success story. They are, they're in Nebraska. They're in the Dakotas, Oklahoma. There was even a line showed up in Connecticut. I -hmm. mean, these lions, they go from Canada clear to Chile. I mean, yep, it's crazy at how successful lion management has become. I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, you can't deny that. And we're still on the ice. And what's crazy, and everybody needs to understand this, through this whole management process, hunting has been a tool. That's right. There has been hunting lions throughout the entire deal.
1: Yep. 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 In spite of all of us bloodthirsty hunters out there with our, with our, you know, our non-fair chase methods of using these vicious hounds, yeah, lion lion populations have continued to grow and be you know stabilized in a healthy population. So, Josh, I applaud you, man. I think I, I I think it's worth celebrating that that guys like you and hundreds more like you took time and show showed up. And I guarantee you, you know, just from talking to you, I know that that you feel. It was a good experience for you to go and and interact with other people and see that support and that takeaway is going to be with you forever.
2: It will, no doubt, it will for sure. And you know, this is it was a huge moment for hunters. I mean, Chris, Colorado is a very very liberal state, and we just got that shut down, and that should give that should give hunters all the motivation in the world to keep fighting for this, you know? Because I mean, we just we just shut it down in in a very very liberal state and yeah. We can do it the next state over or 10 states over. I mean, we can do it, you know? We just have to get together and fight and yep. Yep. It, it has to be that we have to do it, you know? And I was I was worried
1: I'm not going to lie. I was worried about it, man. It was, I was too. The, the, there were four Democrats that, that introduced the bill and sponsored it. And then you had a, um, uh, three Democrats and two Republicans on the committee. And I just saw a good nonpartisan effort to do the right thing. You know, when it was all said and done, it was, it was a great day for democracy. It was a great day for hunters and it was a great day to be an American, to watch the democratic process actually work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Cause you know, all it boils down to with the bill is the bill was not to just save mountain lions. The bill was to ban hunting. Right. That's right. their main deal. They want to ban hunting. Yeah. And it, I mean, they, they introduced wolves in, into Idaho, I believe, in around 1995. Well, now there is, because of lack of wildlife management with the wolves, now there is literally a hunting season for hunters mm-hmm. because of the introduction. They've gotten so bad. And yeah. everywhere that a wolf has been reintroduced, out of, besides Yellowstone, Chris, there's been wolves killed in all those packs for problems everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it's the the killing is. The killing is never going to stop with lions. It would it's just going to change hands.
1: You know, one of the things I did see um we're going to have to wrap this up pretty quick or pretty soon here, Josh. But uh, one thing, one thing that I saw that I that my interest and i think it's such a valid message when when a deer or an elk reaches an age where they start to get broke down and they start to get um you know slower on their feet they get old you know when they get old then they are going to become prey you know they're going to die a predator is going to kill them but when you take something like a mountain lion when that old Tom gets old and his teeth are gone, there is nobody that's going to, he's going to die of starvation. He's going to die of disease. He could be killed by a younger Tom. That's a, that's a possibility. So you got that, but there's no glorious death for that guy, you know, and, and that's, what's so different between deer and, and the apex predator is the apex predator has got the, when, when we don't manage them, When the Josh Whittakers of the world aren't out there hunting and and taking your hunters out there to hunt these things and doing selective management for these animals, they're in for a gory, gruesome, brutal death.
2: Oh, yeah, they are. Yep. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. Well, hey, man, I'll tell you what. I appreciate it. And next time we talk, we'll we'll talk about wolves or something. You're pretty fired up about that one.
2: (laughs) You bet. (laughs) It was good talking to you, Chris.
1: Man, Josh, I appreciate the time and and, uh, everything you did for Colorado Houndsman by showing up. You might have been the one guy that showed up that that tipped the scales. You never know. Never know. Yep. Yep. Well, hey, man, you take care, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast. Before we leave, though, I want to remind you, if you have not done so, you need to get over and register for the Crowdcast event that's going to be happening this Wednesday night, February 16th. I put that thing and pinned it at the top of the Houndsman XP Podcast page. Not the group, the page. It's right there at the top. Pinned it. All the instructions are there how to get in there, how to register. You do have to register for the event, and you can be right in there with us and uh, watch Josh and I as we and and Seth as we discuss competition hounds versus big game hounds. It's going to be a lot of fun, I promise you, and there might even be a few giveaways during this show. So we want you to tune in, have a good time. And as we pick up new listeners, if you have not done so yet, If you could go over to Apple Podcasts, the iTunes store, and leave us a review and a few lines, let us know that you're listening to us. For those of you that have already been listening for some time, make sure you're sharing this with your friends. Until next time, folks, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine.